Welcome to another episode of Breaking Into Cybersecurity, the leadership series. Today, we have Morel, who is joining us and will be sharing her leadership experience. So give us a little bit about your background and maybe let us know why you decided to shift into becoming a cyber leader versus staying an individual contributor? Yeah, my name is Meryl Vernon and I have only been in InfoSec for about three years. I started originally in the risk and then I moved into pen testing and then into higher echelons of purple teaming and recently broke from the operator level into the program manager level. Now I pioneer and manage purple team programs at the enterprise level. So it was a very new transition for me. And one of the reasons I wanted to get into thought leadership when I built my personal brand three years ago was because I really want to inform and empower people. Because as I went about this journey of learning how to break into an extremely difficult field where no one hands anything out for free and people don't just give you opportunities, I came across a lot of conflicting information and misinformation. And I was fortunate enough to have someone I trusted that I could sit down and ask my stupid questions to. What's the difference between an OSCP and an OSWE and which one is more valuable? And do I really need that? So as I went about buying all this, I was like, this is such BS that people are out there telling everyone you need all of these things, all of these prereqs before you can even begin to dream of a career in OFSEC or in other certain niches of cybersecurity. And I'm like, that's just not true. I want people to know realistically, pragmatically what it takes, what you can do, how you can get started in three months, six months or less if you want or a year if you want. And I also feel that so many of us are shy about our accomplishments and going about the process of learning. We're all afraid to look unintelligent in front of our peers. We're afraid if I talk about a vulnerability I'm dealing with and I call out the wrong port, is someone going to rip me apart in the comments and tell people I'm an idiot? and I'll never recover from that. But so we tend to do it in small audiences and not really brag on ourselves. And I'm like, one of my superpowers is that I am not afraid to be the stupid person in the room. I'll be like, hi, I'm pretty familiar with a lot of things, but I've never heard of this before. Can you back it up and break it down to the little pieces for me and anyone else in the room with this question? Not everyone can do that. So I'm not afraid to be the face of those things. And I'm like, listen, if you're here learning... I was too. This is what I figured out. I went down this path. That was wrong. So if you're going to go about this thing, do it better and quicker and don't go all these bad rabbit holes. And that was really why I wanted to get more of the spotlight to begin with. Okay. And as you grew in your leadership journey, how would you rate your comfort level with delegation on a scale of one to five and why? I would have said I'm pretty good at delegating. I would have put myself at a five, but now I'm put myself at a four because I think after properly qualifying someone and see one do one, you can pretty much hand it off and let them do it after. Don't just give them something they're out of their depth in, but I'm pretty good at get this off my plate, get this off my plate. I can't do all these things. So help me help you. But now that I'm a program manager, I've learned that I have a hard time handing pieces of my baby over to someone else. So it's very difficult. Again, but it just goes into that properly, like qualifying them piece. And if you want to be the person who attends meeting for us, then you need to know how to talk about this thing, what it does, how it functions in the org. And I want to know that when I hand this piece over to you, you will do it just as good as I do it. But once I know that, you can have it all. You can have it all day because it frees me up to do cooler stuff. So I'll say like a four, three and a half to four. Okay. Okay. And in your Day to day, how would you say you, you work with collaboration on a scale of one to five and why? Collaboration is like my 20 out of five. Like I am so good at the collaboration because 
the, the reason I started niching down on purple teaming way back in the day was because I am good at this piece. I grew up in early stages of my career when I was a 20 something year old in the trenches of customer service. So I'm really good at talking to a lot of people and bringing people together and being like, you know, I see you have a problem here. And I see this guy could solve your problem here, but you don't talk to each other. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna happen to have you both in the break room at the same time and see how that goes. Collaboration, I'm really good at. One of the first things I do in a red team role, in a purple team role, is start reaching out to people. Hi, I'm the new offsec person. We're not scary. We're not mean. We're here to, to collaborate. What can I do to help you? And I think we're a customer for some of the stuff you do. Do you think we could work together? And they're like, oh my God, she wants to work with us. And I'm like, yeah, let's break those down and, and not just be seen as, when you're seen as a person and not just seen as a function, people are a lot more want to collaborate with you and help you reach mutual end goals. And you'll be met with a lot less friction. And when I'm trying to pioneer new things off the ground, like I am right now, a lot of people are like, why are we purple teaming at all? Why don't you just book a red team engagement? And I'm like, okay, I understand. Yeah. So I need to start, I need to get people on my side so that changing their minds is much easier and I'm not fighting an uphill battle every step of the way. So I'll give my collaboration score, definitely making up for my delegation lack thereof score. I'm guessing I know the answer, but when it comes to communication, how do you rate yourself on a scale of one to five and why? I'm not going to say I'm perfect. I'm not going to give myself a five because everyone's communication is a constant work in progress, but I will give myself a four because I, it was pointed out to me very early in that customer service role in my career that I don't communicate the way most people communicate. I'm a very straightforward person and I'm not a very naturally EQ centric person. So I'd be like, hey, Betty, did you get my email? And she'd be like, hi, Meryl. How are you? Good morning. Yes, I did. And I'm like, hi, yes, how are you? But did you get my email? And it was pointed out to me that a lot of people like that part. They like that inter interpersonal part. So I could really work on that and I could learn how to talk to different people the way they like to be talked to. And that makes collaborating with them easier because you're not going to get people to collaborate with you if you're like, do it my way, conform to me. It's not on the rest of the world to conform to me. It's on me to learn how to communicate with the rest of the world, no matter who comes my way. So I have done a lot of self-development work in the communication area. And I think that I meet contentious situations and op opposing personalities really well. But I will not say I'm perfect because there is the occasional person who will get under my skin and push my buttons and I get down and dirty real quick. But it is a work in progress for any leader, I think. And how important would you consider influence as a skill for leadership and why? Influence has become a dirty word, sadly. But influence is like the most crucial skill because how do you think collaboration happens if you cannot influence someone to see value in your product or to want to give you a budget or to want to take interest in your outcomes? What people don't realize is that we are all born as natural influencers, right? When you're a baby, brand new baby, I got this from a book and I don't remember the title, but I'll get it so you can put it in the comments. You are born influencing people to want to love you and take care of you with no words, no verbal communication, no fancy sales pitches, no brand whatsoever. And yet they literally hurt themselves to take care of you. But we lose that power of influence as we're taught to water ourselves down and change how we are and change how we interact with the world. But influencing is the art of inspiring people to want to buy into you, to want to follow you for your value and how you live them. It's not simply because you're there to sell a product. Part of selling a product is influencing. But when you're the product, or when believing in a cause is the product, that's where the art of influencing comes into play. It's very important. Okay. When it comes to networking in your 
leadership journey. How important would you consider that a skill? Networking, again, it goes back to collaboration. Like it it all comes back to these three core values for leaders. If you're only networking with other, let's say I'm a C-level. If I'm only networking with other C-levels, I'm not going anywhere. No one's getting to know me. I'm not influencing people. I'm not inspiring people and I'm not really connecting with anyone. So I just think it's so important for leaders, no matter what stage of leadership you're at. If you're a program manager, product manager, lead red teamer, all the way up to a C-level, you need to network, not just laterally with your peers and obviously forward because you want to move up a ladder someday, but you need to network reversely with the people behind you and horizontally. Don't forget the people who help bring you to where you are. What influencers don't realize is that they're nothing without their followers, right? They lean on their follower as a metric of their success. So without the people to build you up and help tell people that you can be trusted with projects and in the next leadership position, you're not gonna get there. So I think it's so important for leaders to network backwards and keep in touch with their roots. And don't just get things from your manager who got it from his lead, who go talk to the people who talk to those managers and see if anything's getting lost in the mix. See if you're being given an impression of your department or company that is not actually accurate. But otherwise, networking is so valuable because from a social networking perspective, I it should have taken me 10 years to go from being a junior level operator, which is what I was on my red team at Zoom, to being a team or product or program manager. And it didn't because I was able to prove on a networking platform that I have the philosophy and I have the methodology and the school of thought and the communication and like all these other skills to support the product that I tell you I'm going to build. And that in and of itself was so valuable because someone came to me and said, we're going to give you a shot. Like, we're going to let you skip a bunch of steps and give you a shot. And everyone was like, how do you think that's going to go? And I'm like, well, I'll either be the happiest person in the world in six months or I'll be crying in the corner because I could fail. I could take this shot and totally fail. But I really don't think I will. I don't like to set myself up for failure. I like to qualify something really well and figure out if I can really handle it. Networking, I can honestly say, has gotten my career to where it is today. I haven't applied to a job in the last four positions I've had. They all came to me off LinkedIn from my ability to network myself. I love that. That's truly amazing. As you think of future cybersecurity leaders, what advice would you want to share with them? I would just want to say that if you do what you've always done, like it worked once but is no longer working, then you'll never have you'll never have what you've never had before. But you have to do things differently. You have to change what you're doing. So many cyber leaders say are stuck in like how they got there, like the methods that got their department or their security program or their people to where they are now. But what we have to realize is those methods are deprecated. That's not how things are done anymore. We need to change our school of thinking. We need to change our philosophy. We need to keep reading and stay up on the new thoughts of leadership and the new approaches to hiring and approaches to evaluating skills versus knowledge and how experience is really out the window. I'm an example of that. Like, Someone didn't hire me, a small, teeny, tiny, like AppSec boutique company didn't hire me to be an AppSec pen tester because I didn't have the minimum five years of experience. But Zoom hired me and benefited from a really great client-side attack specialist, cloud attack specialist, social engineer, because they were willing to give me that chance regardless. So cybersecurity leaders, this is going to trickle down to everything you do, your policies, your approach, your methods, your hiring. We're going to lose this war if you don't do something differently. Like, just take the chance. What's the worst that could happen? Like, right now, breaches are happening. Right now, attackers are still getting what they want. If you take the chance on someone that you wouldn't normally take the chance on or doing something that you've never done and it fails or it stays the same, then you didn't lose anything. But potentially, security could get a lot better. Security thought could get better. Security approaches and relations could get better. And more security professionals can get better 
which really truly is the key. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing your points of view, your advice, really appreciate it. And thank you for joining Breaking into Cybersecurity, the Leadership Series. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye.